Hello, my little degenerate angels. Welcome back to another week of Life Lived on the Edge. My name is Allie Weiss, and this is Tales of Taboo, an investigation into and celebration of what happens behind closed doors, as told by my very own listeners. Each week, I invite them and their friends and their friends of friends and even sometimes people I find in deep internet research rabbit holes to share totally anonymous stories about their various out-of-the-ordinary or so-called socially unacceptable life experiences. My goal is to encourage every person listening to question why certain topics are deemed shameful or trashy or off-limits when they're some of the most impactful and honest looks into the human experience. I could really summarize this show as being somewhere between daytime television, a therapy session, and an expensive lobotomy in the mountains of Switzerland, and it's the absolute honor and joy of my life to be your host. So let's get into it. Starting at the age of 15, I was totally obsessed with nightlife, and it raged on for 10 years, like really until the pandemic. Going out at night, at least in a place like New York, is a portal into everything good and bad about being alive simultaneously. (laughs) It's druggy and elitist and expensive, but it's also the best way to develop taste in music and art and fashion. It's addictive. And I've explored literally all of its sectors. Hip-hop, deep house, reggae, Tiny underground parties, massive warehouse parties, bars that center around music, and massive clubs with tables. And most of the massive clubbing I did when I was underage with promoters. But within those big clubs is something in particular that's always piqued my interest more than anything, and that is Bottle Girls. They are those gorgeous girls in the tiny little outfits who bring over the magnums of champagne that have sparklers in them. And to be honest, I've always secretly wanted to be them because I saw their job as this like tremendous position of power. There's unbelievable power in being considered objectively attractive and then getting paid for it. I talk a lot about this in my episode from last season with Anna Heron, the model, And there's also this unbelievable power in being in a position of control in an exclusive establishment that everyone is dying to get into. And then, of course, like also being surrounded by famous, important people. At least there seems to be a, a, you know, a big position of power. As a bottle girl, I, I assumed you basically get to be a trophy wife without the expectation of sex and the ability to shatter the illusion at the end of the night and walk home with your own money, which was multiple thousands of dollars. Like, I was obsessed. Sexy, hot, cool, connected. These girls were were everything I strived to be, especially when I was a teenager and in my young 20s. So even before I had this podcast, needless to say, I have wanted to interview Bottle Girls for a really long time. And our first anonymous contributor is actually someone I know and have been chasing to do this for years. 
And then our last contributor, who's also named Allie, is someone I found on TikTok. And she is blessing us with some truly fascinating stories on the record, which is awesome. And what I learned from all of our contributors is that when you strip away the glamour and the money and the hype, being a bottle waitress is ultimately no better than any other sector of hospitality. And what I mean by this is that the client always comes first, even if they're acting egregiously. And holy shit, as you will hear, do they act egregiously? These girls are regularly asked to compromise their characters in tons of ways to appease pompous men and convince them to pay like a 300% markup on alcohol. And then a boatload of that paycheck is expected to go towards maintaining these specific and, dare I say, predictable beauty standards. There's so much feigned intimacy with clients, but then this difficulty establishing it for real in their personal time because of unconventional hours and a really intimidating job description. It goes on. You know, episodes like these make me feel incredibly thankful for my job and how much making them teaches me. Like with the fashion industry episodes, for those of you who listen to them, and if you didn't go back, listen, they're amazing. My know-it-all brain was blown all the way open with this and scrambled like an egg, which was deeply humbling. Um, I'm also grateful for the community that I've built, which, I again, I know I say this a lot, like to the point where y'all are probably rolling your eyes, but because I always seek to illuminate these subjects that aren't often talked about, some of my episodes can get really dark and others can feel like fluffy sometimes when there's so much going on in the world. So who would have thought that talking about club culture would perfectly deliver that halfway point that I'm always looking for? Like it turns out that those tight little dresses and those magnums of champagne and the piles and piles of money can actually lead to much larger discussions about power dynamics and misogyny and drug and alcohol use and even like loneliness and existentialism. And this is all, if I do say so myself, fucking lit. So thank you to each of our contributors for your trust and your openness. Thank you to my listeners for your curiosity and your non-judgmental attitude. And thank you to Young Jeezy for the song, remember this one, R.I.P. just killed the club because it feels like really, really relevant here. Anyway, okay, let's do this. I've worked as a bottle girl for a little over a decade for a downtown New York hospitality group. I've worked for the same people for pretty much the entire time I've worked in nightlife, which is unusual. And I got the job because I actually had a friend who worked in the kitchen at a restaurant that had a nightclub downstairs. Around my like 18th or 19th birthday, he called me and was like, yeah, this hostess just didn't show up. So do you want to come through and, and stand at the front of the restaurant? We'll pay you a hundred dollars and feed you at the end of the night. And I was like, yeah, why not? So I came, um, ended up meeting the owner pretty much the first night I started working and we immediately became friends. And he's like, look, like, why don't we see how you like it down at the club? So I started um, and it was a really small club. Our capacity, I think, was like 120. So the door was really notoriously tight. 
but it was amazing. I mean, everyone hung out there. There were painters and actors and politicians and Saudis. And um, I even met the prime minister of Austria there, like my first or second week working. So on an average night, I would wake up around 7 p.m. I would go to the gym, have a nice coffee, get to the club and we would have what's called pre-shift. So whoever was running the show that night, the manager, the doorman, would sit with the bottle girls and be like, all right, this is who's coming in tonight. These are their minimums. This is whose section they requested. This is what we are really gonna try and pump them for. These are the girls I'd like tag teaming. These are the people who are coming in who can't be anywhere near each other. These are the people coming in who want to meet each other. So, our responsibilities were, you know, get these people to hit their minimums, show them a good time, and facilitate them meeting anybody that they wanted to in the room. So I've had some nights where I've walked, you know, with nearly $10,000, and then I've had some nights where I didn't even make enough money to take a cab home. So the money is really good, but it's tremendously inconsistent. And something that's not really talked about um, as far as bottle girls is that we have really high overhead. So a lot of the money that we spend or that we make, we end up spending just to be able to do the job. So, you know, overhead like Botox, uh, Pilates, personal training, constantly making sure that your hair is perfect, making sure your nails are always perfect. And the nails are really important. Um, some places I've worked do nail checks. so. At the beginning of the night, the GM will come and look at all the girls' hands and say, all right, well, you need to do X, Y, and Z because when you're holding a $15,000 bottle of champagne, you can't have gross, dirty nails. I became actually very good friends with a lot of my clients. I've had some of the same clients for 10 years, um, and those relationships have gone into the great beyond of my life. You know, I've had people I've met at work help me get jobs, help me, you know, give me career advice. Um, I've spent time with them in other countries. I, I've i been really lucky, but for me, um, one rule I had was I never dated clients. It was not something that management ever asked of us, but for me, it was like, you know, I don't wanna risk ruining a relationship with a client because sometimes it can go bad as, relationships between nightlife people and civilians often do. Um, and then, you know, they stop coming in, it gets messy, it, it costs the club money, it costs the tip pool money. Um, so that was a rule that I followed pretty religiously um, until just very recently when I am now very seriously seeing uh, somebody who I did meet at work. But again, I'm now retired, so that's, that's less relevant. But no, I was really lucky. Like the guys that I've worked for were really supportive and encouraging and and treated us with a lot of respect and made sure that we were always taken care of and always listened to us if we had to have somebody 86, which just means like they cannot come back ever or they need to be pulled out of the room. Um, they were always really intense that security, you know, listens to the bottle girls and asks questions after once the person's out. It's less about, oh, well, this person's friends with the owner, so we can't really kick them out, even if they're being handsy with the waitress, um, which is not normal from, you know, my knowledge. I, I know a lot of other bottle girls from different places who that's just really not usually the case. We had a, an actress in 
who was in a bit of legal trouble, who was not supposed to be drinking, who was not supposed to be partying, who's not really supposed to be leaving her house at the time. And I was a similar build to her. So in order to sneak her out of the back, they had me throw a coat over my body and pretend to be her with some security and get into an SUV, drive around the block, and then I got back on the floor while she snuck out. Well, I had a client who I won't get too specific about, but he was strange. He um, was super polite and sweet and everything until I got his credit card and ID. The ID was just collateral until the bill was paid in full. And as soon as the card and ID would get into my hand, he would become tremendously verbally abusive. And not always like horrible things. Like once he had me sing the Itsy Bitsy Spider slam poetry style to him for an hour, for an hour straight. It was so bizarre. And the thing was though, as horrible and annoying as he was, he would always tip 100% sometimes on like ten, fifteen thousand $15,000 checks. So, you know, we, we did what we had to do. Also, bottle girls are almost always fucking somebody with influence over how your night is gonna go. So if you ever have a doorman who rejects you or you ever have a bartender who won't serve you, chances are you insulted whichever bottle girl they're seeing. And if you ever wanna be served or allowed in again, you should probably do your best to make amends. You know, when you are waking up at seven o'clock at night and you never have weekends and it's, you know, it's hard. It's hard to maintain healthy relationships, particularly, um, you know, I always found that that men in my life were uncomfortable and often a little bit insecure about my job because, again, I'm out four or five nights a week till seven, eight, nine o'clock in the morning between you know, working at the club till four, paperwork till five or six, afters until eight or nine. You know, it wasn't really a conducive situation to being in a healthy relationship with a person with a normal life and job. And I never, I never really spun out of control because of the money, because again, as much money as we were making, we were spending so much of it just to maintain the ability to do the job. Um, again, beyond all of the obvious things we had to spend money on, like our appearance, I also actually spent a lot of money on therapy because you need a lot of support to be able to be in this environment for extended periods of time. People are constantly picking apart your appearance. People are treating you as though your only value is the way that you look and, and what you can do for them at night. It's just not a sustainable career as profitable and fun as it is, you know, in your 20s. I just recently retired, literally this past month. I'd been doing it for a long time and it wasn't so much a breaking point. I feel like you cycle through breaking points when you are a bottle girl for long enough. You know, sometimes it feels like, oh, everything's so glamorous and everyone in this room is so beautiful and the drugs are everywhere and the money is unimaginable. And then some nights it's like, oh my God, I'm in the seventh circle of hell. And everyone in here is smoking 25 cigarettes at one time and chewing on a bunch of broken glass. I've been doing it for over a decade, which is a lot on my body. And I met someone and fell in love with them and realized that if I really wanted to invest in this relationship and invest in a different kind of a future for myself, it would be important to grow up a little bit 
And I would recommend this job to any woman in her early 20s who is disciplined and gregarious and enjoys being out, um, wants to make a lot of fast cash, maybe has something else they have going on during the week that they can devote the rest of their time to because the best people in nightlife always have something better going on. Um, I always find that the people who are like, yeah, nightlife is is bond and nightlife is my life. You know, I'm a lifer. I'll do this shit forever. They're always the people who end up, you know, being taken out within a few years in a body bag or in handcuffs. I worked at PhD when I started in Midtown. And then I worked at Catch Steak um, downtown, like right near Catch Roof. And then now I work at Public. When I first started working in hospitality, I just got the job by like applying to a bunch of towel group locations. And I actually put the picture on of myself on my resume because obviously they want like prettier girls. And that's just like, so that's what I did. I put like a modeling picture on or there at the end of my resume. And I went in and I literally had no experience. I started interviewing at like how I got an interview at Lavo and at first like all of them were no's obviously because I had no experience so they sent me back up to PhD Midtown where I really didn't need much experience and I could like learn on my own because uh, PhD roof is, is less bottle service and more it was a mix of bottle service and like cocktailing but mostly like cocktailing when I got to catch I got that job through a friend but I, I went on an open call and you know I got the job because uh, I have experience at that point and with my personality and stuff. So when I was working at Catch Steak, they were trying to build like Catch Steak Lounge as a higher end version of Catch Roof. So Catch Roof is more like a youthful crowd. They were trying to build Catch Steak as like, you know, older 30s or just like an older crowd with more established money and more of a classier feel, which they, you know, they tried to do, but kind of ended up failing because it just wasn't... It just wasn't catching on because Catch Roof was literally a couple blocks away. So it was kind of pointless and they ended up closing it and they haven't reopened it since. But yeah, that was the vibe. It was, I mean, it was more just like more Catch Roof people. And so if you've ever been to Catch, you kind of know what it's like when you walk in there. The clientele was definitely like just rich men basically or like, you know, trust fund babies that are just like a bunch of drunk idiots that come in and spend money or just like... People that you would never expect to have money just come in and like pop off and they don't necessarily get that drunk. They just like to spend their money in flashy ways. On an average night, I would walk away with um, anywhere from like $700 to $1,000. And now let's keep in mind, this is during busy season. Now during like a really good night, I remember oh, I missed the night. I wasn't working, but some of the other girls made like $2,000 in one night because some girl came in she like made fake flower walls throughout the city for like events and stuff and you think about it those flower walls are everywhere throughout the city anyway she came in and she spent like twenty thousand dollars by herself was barely drinking was just like letting her or was just ordering bottles of whatever and yeah then she clearly like tipped 20 percent on top of that twenty thousand. so it was insane having that money made me feel really powerful however I knew I definitely had to save during slow season because slow season, I mean, sometimes you would only bring in like one, two, three hundred dollars during the night. So you would definitely have to save for those slow winter months and save for rent. When I worked at Catch, we were allowed to drink, but if I worked at any towel group property and, and working at public now, we're like strictly not allowed to drink. Unless you're like, you know, at Tal downtown or working at one of the bigger downtown clubs, then you're like allowed to drink with your clients. You obviously just can't get super fucked up. But when I was at Catch, like there weren't really much rules. 
I know some girls that worked at Marquee and there will be people coming in there spending like hundreds of thousands of dollars on like massive, massive bottles of champagne. I'm talking like bigger than Magnum. Like you would have to have multiple people bring out the bottles to pour out and you have to have like a manager open it because it was just so big and they were just super flashy about their money. But, you know, usually those type of people work in venture capital or hedge fund or just like own a bunch of properties and crazy rich. I will not say which venue. However, I've had managers in the past that have clearly, most obviously, have been on drugs during their shift. And it's it's kind of hard not to be when you work that many insane hours in nightlife to be like cracked out on something and just like full of life and personality because that's the only way you can really get through that in terms of being able to work one-on-one with customer service and like in those hours. Definitely been asked to have my fair share of threesomes too, which I've said no to at all of them, obviously. Ew. <laughs> Sometimes you could kind of feel like a hooker um, in terms of just feeling like, oh, you know, you're a bottle girl. Like every, it gets such a bad rep, but like there's like really smart, beautiful girls that are working as waitresses and doing this, that this is not not their only job. And you have to understand that like most people that are in hospitality or nightlife have other things going for them and they're smart and respectable people. We sometimes would have meetings um, with different liquor brands or champagne brands for tastings in order to sell more and to really know the product. That was one really great thing about working at Catch is that um, we were really well introduced and well-educated on our product with tastings. And it was also really fun because we would sit with our team and just basically just get to drink. My time working in nightlife has definitely, you know, affected obviously my day life too. So I'm also a model. It gives me great day availability. Like I definitely am grateful for that. But there's some days, you know, where I'm not really working in modeling and I'm like bored to death outside of it. So I have to create some sort of goals and schedule for myself. Although it's very hard to do when you have that much time. I'm the kind of person that functions under deadlines. And when there's a lot of time on my hands, I just, I don't function well. I would definitely sometimes crave a nine to five and just like a regular job or something like remote I would want Um, in terms of, you know, working the late nights. It just it got exhausting and I would get really sick of it. And honestly, I want to get out of hospitality soon because these night hours are just it just gets old and you just like want time with your family and your friends and time to make relationships because it has been hard with dating because it does get in the way but you know what um the harder it is to access you and the less availability you have the more guys want you right and the more valuable you are to them i would definitely recommend working in nightlife or being a bottle girl um because you make so many friends like i have so many other girlfriends that are other venues or guy friends that are other venues now and i go and have the ins to those places and like i can just like go get free drinks here free drinks there obviously still tipping and stuff um you just have more respect for people that work in hospitality and just customer service in general i think that everybody should work in a customer service job at least once in their life because it gives you so much more respect and your life makes you a great person overall and um yeah you make a lot of money it's fun you make a ton of friends connections have great amazing experiences um although there are bad and dark times too you know working late it does get old and um working with creepy guys sometimes that are your clients and people like touching you it's it's fucking annoying um but I mean besides that I really like loved and I'm grateful for my experience working as a bottle girl
I was living with this guy in Manchester and I ended up in a pretty bad, you know, domestic violence situation with him. And he had my passport, my money, so I couldn't get back to Ireland. And so I kind of had to run away basically to London. When I got to London, I had absolutely no money and I needed money fast and I needed a lot of it, of course, to set myself up in a town like that. And so I started to work an audition in clubs. I did bottle service in two clubs in my maybe two and a half year stint. I worked in and which are both, of course, gentlemen's clubs. But there's a lot of girls in London that will exclusively do bottle service in gentlemen's clubs because you can kind of hustle a little bit harder and they're a little bit more intimate. A lot of people think they're a lot easier to make money in than some of your bigger clubs, um, which I'm not sure is true. But but I, I definitely fa- found strip clubs very easy to make money in the hiring process for these jobs is is definitely different i would say to some of your bigger vegas super clubs first of all the jobs are never advertised you have to really just kind of seek them out and the process is you come in they they see if you're pretty and then you they they talk to you for a little while then you do your trial run and if you're not an idiot and you look okay then you get the job uh, it's not quite the the pageant like situation that you get with a lot of the other clubs the first club i worked in was i remember i had read so much about this place and how it was just such a a, like hub for celebrities and obviously it was so well known because it was run by who was an insanely big celebrity within his own right so i remember when i went to the audition i actually recognized the bouncer because i had seen him in so many paparazzi pictures of like royalty and like just the biggest celebrities in the world coming out of these doors and i just knew like this is where the money is this is where i need to be my manager was both of them are were like such cliches i don't think there is any managers in this scene that aren't carbon copies of each other sleeping with every single girl like drinking it's just it's a playground for these like middle-aged men it's it's a breeding ground for you know the patriarchy and 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 bad views and bad and and being taken advantage of that's something that is it's that's not a stereotype that's very much how it is the most out there thing i was ever asked to do my manager's friend came in and he requested that i go into the bathroom take my underwear off and come out and give it to him and he would pay me 300 pounds and i didn't do it and my manager reprimanded me called me into his office and demanded to know why i wasn't working and if i was refusing money for a service then technically i was refusing to do my job the money probably isn't as impressive as a lot of um bottle girls but you know like an average night is like probably like 300 ish pound but like a big night would be like you know upwards of anywhere upwards of a, a grand the dress code is definitely slutty so my last bottle girl uniform was a thong, high-rise bodysuit, fishnets, and high heels. The first time I put it on, I, like, sobbed so much. I was like, this can't be where my life is. <laughs> but uh, you get used to it pretty pretty fast. But um, it definitely does give you kind of some, some body dysmorphia issues, you know, being that, like, exposed all the time, 100%. My wildest story was on New Year's Eve. Um, there was this table of professional footballers i won't name who the club was and um, the football club but i mean it was like one of the biggest premier league clubs 
And I remember the table had gone over by whatever they had already paid, like a six or seven grand tab. And it had gone over by about another two or three grand. And I went over and I told them and he started to shout at me and said he wasn't giving me any more money. Like one of the like, you know, players or whatever. And he was screaming at me. And so I went and got security. And then when I came back at security, he, Scott Disick style, shoved a 20 pound note into my mouth as I was speaking and I was obviously fucking horrified like so I spat it out and turned around and the security just had seen it and was just like yeah well (laughs) you know whatever like they didn't get kicked out or anything like that so that was like really upsetting and it really just kind of shows the hierarchy of like you are nothing in those clubs you know what I mean so I can't stress enough that you are never permitted to leave the club with a customer ever ever you cannot sleep with customers it is a really big deal like I know some clubs like monitor the staff exit to make sure that there's you know no like weird cars pulling up to collect them or like that they're not you know being collected around the corner by anyone's like fucking limo or whatever but I did once um unfortunately (laughs) there was this huge talent manager um like so he's like the main talent manager for like celebrities in London and you know it's such a cliche story he promised me oh you know I'm gonna put you on like oh it's so embarrassing I'm gonna put you on Love Island like come back we're gonna go have this meeting in my room and I want to get to know you and whatever (laughs) needless to say I never ended up on Love Island or any other of the shows that he promised me I would be on um but it's just one of those like you live and you learn situations uh so yeah (laughs) the lifestyle definitely affected me in terms of you know addiction issues like I was drinking so much every single night um, and I would work six nights a week if I was drunk I was better at doing the job I was better than making money and if I was making money everyone was making money so it was kind of in everyone's interest to get me drunk um so I was drunk every night and I developed a pretty nasty coke habit like I'm not gonna lie I've I've always had um kind of a pretty nasty coke habit but this really really uh made it a lot worse you know like there was girls getting getting bags delivered to the club and that kind of thing and you know then it goes on and on until the next day then you're sleeping for a couple hours and you're back in the club again and you know it got really really hairy really messy really fast In saying all that, though, I would recommend to anyone, if you have the stomach for it, to definitely go into it. There's great money to be made. And the only reason I left is because coronavirus hit. I was definitely not ready to give up that life, uh, but I was kind of forced to. And now I am a secretary, which is super boring, (laughs) Um, but probably a bit more sensible. But I would definitely recommend to anyone to do it. Um, But it definitely takes a certain type of person. And like I said, a strong stomach and a set of balls (laughs) i worked at a super bougie new york city nightclub i was there 9 10 11 years ago i would say on and off for two and a half years i quit a bunch of times um and then they took me back it was a bit dramatic the club was in the meatpacking district it was very hard to get into the door which i just looking back now i think is so ridiculous um if you weren't a certain height it didn't matter if you had a billion dollars if they didn't like the way you looked they didn't think you were hot enough tall enough if they didn't like the way you dressed it didn't even matter if you had money at this place they were so pretentious and so rude that they would say rude things the door girls were 
very obnoxious and they would turn people away it definitely was a private nightclub i think they ended up opening one in dubai but both of them shut down the way i got the job actually was through my ex-boyfriend i was living with at the time in new york and i was personal training and you know i loved it but i definitely don't love waking up at five in the morning and getting to the gym and it wasn't enough money so it was his idea, which was just so strange for a boyfriend to say, hey, why don't you bottle waitress? Uh, you love making money and you clearly love spending it. So you think you should get some type of job. So he said he knew the door girl. He had grown up with her in Staten Island and she was dating the owner and that she would get me an interview and the first time he had messaged her she said that they were full that they don't really swap out the waitresses and then i guess they had spoken a couple of weeks later and someone needed to be replaced and she just straight up asked him how tall i was if you could send if he could send a couple of pictures so her boyfriend could see which i thought was just so creepy but i was just like you know what I guess this is New York City shit. I met him at this jazz bar, which was actually close to my house at the time in Midtown. And he was so sleazy. Um, he knew exactly who I was and that I was going to meet him. And when I asked, like, uh, hey, are you Mike? He tried to act like he had no idea who I was. Then basically, he just totally checked me out. It was so unco uncomfortable. He would say oh I'm gonna go to the bathroom and just like walk to the bathroom and then I turned around and saw him staring at my ass from the bar checking out my whole body he checked my nails he asked me how tall I was and then he said he started flirting with me and then immediately he said okay I'm gonna start you in the nightclub so at this place there was a cafe side and a nightclub side the nightclub side both were very nice, considered nice, but one was more of a lounge and it didn't make as much money as the nightclub. The girls were not happy. I'm a new girl. They don't know who the fuck I am and I'm being moved directly into the nightclub. Um, so basically, I just got hired solely based off looks. I'd never waitressed before. The environment was super crazy. Like he would walk around, check our heels, make sure that we were wearing six inch stiletto heels. Keep in mind, you had to be five foot eight just to be hired. It was just super crazy. Always commenting on not mine, thank God, but on, a, on different girls' weights and the size of their breasts and like offering breast implants just total like nowadays he would be canceled in like two seconds bottle girls responsibilities on an average night i mean we had lots of responsibilities did they get done no was everyone always getting in trouble yes uh there was lots of drugs involved lots of alcohol um the managers and the owners almost enforced drug and alcohol use in the waitress station they thought that if i mean they were right they thought that if we did it we would act sluttier which then in turn would make the clients spend more money and it was really just this sick twisted game that i got involved with because my boyfriend thought i should make some extra money it ended up destroying my relationship with him and he worked in finance so i would come home while he was getting up to leave and I was high and it was such a mess. Sometimes I would work four nights in a row and 
I didn't even really need the money. I just became addicted to it. It was so crazy. I had never made money like that in my entire life. Um, just the pricing of these bottles and these rich guys that would come in and try to impress women that they were with or other clients. Uh, they had the money and they would flaunt it and they wanted the sparkler show they would like have these drug after parties after everyone would leave and like shut it down and like secretly party in the club with all the waitresses and somehow everyone was topless dancing. I don't know. It definitely got very out of hand, very dark. And I started to feel uncomfortable. I started to find like crack pipes and syringes in this nightclub bathroom like it was very disturbing because it was all like models or I don't want to say hookers like they called them the working girls which they were just like high class Russian hookers to be honest and I started to really question like what am I doing why am I here I went to school I went to college I don't need to be doing this and um the clientele as well like it was just so dull and shallow I never hooked up with any of the clients I thought that they were so stupid like any guy that goes in there and spends even ten thousand dollars on bottles of alcohol I think is so stupid and after a couple of years I just couldn't take it anymore and I quit for good and I moved to California and I have never been happier. I would not recommend this job to my worst enemy. And now I am so excited to introduce my conversation with Ali Keel. I found Ali on TikTok. She is an actress and a singer, as well as being a bottle girl. And she is super fascinating. She's lived all over the world. You can find her on Instagram at A L L I E dot K E E L. And Ali, thank you so much for being on the record juicy. I moved to Tokyo when I was five. Uh, my dad, he got a job out there. So my mother and I kind of followed him for that. And then um, then we had to go to Malaysia. And then after Malaysia, my mother went to the Netherlands. I lived there with her for a little bit. My father in London. And then I finally made the big move myself, sort of making New York my home, which I feel like a lot of people in New York can relate to that when they move there. It's like everybody's has that same storyline of like, I wanted to go somewhere I felt was mine. Can you think back to a moment where you first started getting interested in night? And now I'm in Chicago. So just kind of taking a break in Europe, clubbing, you know, that started early. Um, and then in Asia, it was just a known thing, you know, like on the weekends, everybody would sort of end up at these places. And we were all, you know, like 16, 17, but that's normal. Having grown in a lot of those different places, it was hard to have you know, that quick friendship. Like when you move to a new place, it was like, I'd move there and I was doing musical theater, you know, like my whole life, that's where my acting passion came from. But I found that on the weekends, it was like, you would see these people out and then they would be much more friendly. They'd be really nice. They'd be like welcoming. And then you'd have these like bonds over drinking. And I feel like then when I got to New York, it was the same sort of deal. I got mm -hmm. to college, I joined a sorority, really wanted to kind of be part of something. And I don't think sorority stuff was really for me. So that's why nightlife was like non-judgmental breakfast club, you know, like all of them getting together and just, you would see the same people every weekend. And it was nice to have that community. 
you had mentioned to me that you were a promoter in Asia at 17. Tell me what that was really like and also, you know, how you got into it. And then maybe also how it compares to what you saw from nightlife in American culture. Malaysia is, is a really different kind of spot because I would say as much as our school was westernized in some ways, it still was very Muslim influenced. So it was really interesting to see how the things that maybe I was going to get away with were a little bit different than like what some of my Muslim friends were able to do as well. So that was really interesting. And I think that was also probably a reason why I was not picked for lack of a better word um for for promoting was sort of like oh you're this you know white girl here i'm sure that you'll be interested in this life so right. you're american like you like drinking um and for me it actually stemmed from my mom and i um i had scuffed her floors and i remember that i told her i'm gonna pay you back i'm gonna pay you back but i had never had a job before i i don't think i had a job until i turned like 21. and it was really just exactly like it's first of all impossible to find one when you're you know in the areas that you're in um but especially being abroad like i'd have to have a visa or something um so i told her i was in a pair back and i ended up finding out that i could get paid to sort of go out and then you know of course bring other people out too and I just remember thinking, this is so cool because I already wanted to go out. And a lot of the kids that I knew were going more to the bars. Um, then club stuff was more some of the more well-rounded kids that were that were going out more frequently. Um, and I told my mom, I was like, I'm going to pay you back. And I came back one night and I you know, had a little bit of money. I was like, here you go. And she was just like, what? She was so confused. She had no idea yeah. what to expect. I mean, really, really had no idea. And... Um, yeah, funny, funny little anecdote here. I one time was supposed to be paid from one of the people and they kind of insinuated that they were going to pay me a little bit more money if it was like a private party that I went to. And it was like quite a bit more. And I just I remember being looking at this person and being like, are they serious? They're definitely asking me to do something that I just not probably right. okay private party has a lot of connotation <laughs> a lot of connotation even at 16 17 you know that that's not good um but i remember that i had invited one of the girls out so she and i hadn't been paid fully for that night and he said oh i'll drop it off for you and me being the naive person that i was was like yeah you could drop it off at my high school why not Oh my God. Yeah. So this, I had to go to the nurse because I like had fallen or something, needed a Band-Aid. And then I just remember that I was at the nurse's office and I missed the message on Facebook because we would communicate through Facebook all the time, everybody. And um, oh my goodness, these people show up in like their Ferrari or whatever it was, like loud blasting music into the courtyard. And they're like, this is for the girl. And it's an envelope full of cash. And they give it to the guard. And the guard is like, what? And he gets it and he thinks, you know, what What am I supposed to do this? He brings it to the assistant principal, which I always got along really well with the principals, but assistant principal, I mean, they deal with, you know, if you're late and I was always late. So he did not like me already. Um, and my mom was a preschool teacher at, at the school. So it already, you know, I was trying to keep on the down low about anything I was doing. And that's impossible with that kind of thing. Oh my goodness. He brought me into the office, called me in. And I just remember going to the guard because I was asking where the money was. And he was like, I brought it to, you know, to this person. 
And I went in and he was grilling me, like interrogated me. He was like, where do you get this money from? What do you do? And I was just like, oh, yeah, I go partying. And, you know, I get paid to be there. Sometimes we have to dance with some people, some other guys. Like, it's really nothing weird. And he was just like, that is by all definitions weird and was very confused. And he said, you have to call your mom and tell her what you're doing. And I was like, she already knows. She already knows. But I did not want anybody else to know because oh, I was yeah. like she's gonna be so mad she was so mad when I got home she was like I have to hear about this from you know this person that I work with like it makes you look like an escort like yeah. she yeah. was One really really upset yeah. um but yeah no I stopped doing that in Malaysia and then it wasn't until I got to college that I was like well you know it's back in my roots let's go back in so what was your trajectory into that? It, it sounds like in Asia, you more or less got scouted for being white and pretty. Um, in New York, there's lots of pretty white girls. So how did that kind of um, happen for you? I would also imagine perhaps it was a bit more professional this time around. When I got there, I was just going clubbing like, I want to say four times a week. Like I was out. I, it was really embarrassing. I had a kid in class who saw me in last night's outfit and out me in front of a professor. He was like, oh, really? You're just getting back from the club? And I was not going to tell him yes and give him that satisfaction. I was like, shut up. But at the same time. Were you wearing time, stilettos in class? Yes, absolutely. But I did that anyway. I would wear heels to class. I, since high school, I've been like longboarding in five-inch platform heels like the Jeffrey Campbells way back when. Um, so that wasn't like wow. that surprising, but he still, he knew what he was saying. Um, but I, I the commitment to the personal brand. I think anybody <laughs> who wears, uh, heels into an academic institution is really leaning into the L Woods thing. And I respect yes. it deeply. Absolutely. It brings you like higher sense of self. Like you just feel elevated, feel good about yourself. Like why True. not? Um, but you know, so yeah, I was, I was going out a couple nights a week, then more than a couple nights a week. It wasn't until I kind of got into a relationship in college that I stopped. Otherwise I would have probably kept going for a long time. Um, but then you get to know a lot of people, you know, I met like sort of like the head door person of, of like one Oak cause like a very good friend of mine now. Um, but it's just, it was really wild how New York Fashion Week, that was a big one. I remember I would go out that week and all the girls I knew in class would be like, oh, you know, how are you getting in? I was like, I don't know. I just you know, know these people now. So I'm going to go through these places. And I knew that if I was by myself, I usually was going to get in faster than if I had True. other people. And you yeah. don't, you're not held back. Like you just have this way of being like, I'm just going to go do whatever I feel like doing tonight. And I remember like exactly that, New York Fashion Week. I remember I think Cardi B or something was performing that night. And I just walked right up, was like, hey. And they were like, yep, you can go in. And all of these people down the door, you know, are being told either no or saying, yeah, you'll have to wait, having to bribe people. I never had any of those issues. And I think I was using, I think I was using like a fake passport copy at the time, which love, now, love. yeah, it was, it was a whole thing. But <laughs> um, yeah, it was, it was a lot of just going out, meeting the right people. I did promoting. I did mostly sub-promoting. It was sort of like getting Venmos for you know who you'd bring out. And then I met a lot of bottle girls over my time. I got to know a lot more about that through those people and through the VIP hosts. Friends of mine at, you know, at Tao, for example, I had friends there. Um, but yeah, then I started dancing um, for a couple of clubs there as well, um, like go-go dancing. And just to clarify, um, I was gonna ask. I was like, "Were you a stripper?" Because we love that. But I love it too. I just yeah. I don't think I'm that great of a dancer. <laughs> I don't know if I could do that. 
but um go dancing in tail that's just like having to shake your hips to the beat of whatever electronic music is playing for the most part yes we were so it was a good friend of mine actually that started this um he brought it from paris so he brought it from france and it was this sort of event it's called fresh touch um and we we did kind of these like zany shows it would be like um what, what am i thinking of what's the word i'm looking at laser shows like we'd have the laser mm. gloves do the lasers we were always coming up with new ways to sort of be, be performers and what i loved about that was i had so much freedom to dance however i wanted to because as a as a musical theater actor i was such a singer and actor i was never the dancer you know like right. the person my director would be like hey you know since you're the lead you don't have to do all that so you just do whatever you want and i was like cool and then i got to college where it was a lot more like you have to be part of the ensemble and i was screwed so then when i got hired as a dancer i was like oh look at me i'm a dancer mm-hmm. <laughs> i'm a dancer this time so with that it was a lot more freedom you know when you're by yourself on a platform i mean you can do whatever the hell you whatever want you want yeah. and if people think you're a dancer they're like look at her move she's incredible right. not right. one Such person would have doubted me exactly and now like um you know like for example now when i'm ball serving sometimes like the girls will say like oh you're gonna dance up there and I'm like you if you pay me like i'm not doing it now because i look ridiculous <laughs> Um, so yeah, it started, it started with that and dancing and then ball service a little bit after that. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I just like that with, with ball service, I've always noticed that I feel at least at the club I'm at right now, um, more protected than when I was a regular girl at the club. Oh yeah. 100%. Yeah. You actually have people who are looking out for your well-being because as yes. an employee, your jeopardized well-being affects their well-being. It's all very selfish, but at least you have people looking out for you for some reason rather than just saying, well, you inserted yourself into this environment in the tiny mm-hmm. dress and the big heels. Whatever happens is up yep. to you. You mentioned when we were talking uh, before that you had a stint working at Soho House, and I'd love to know what the dynamics of that were because Soho House doesn't operate as a traditional club, nor does it operate traditionally in terms of who can get in and who can't get in. Um, mm-hmm. I know that there's a lot of like rules and regulations and, and things you can and can't do. So how did you stumble into that employment? What were you doing for them? And, and what was that ecosystem like comparing it, for example, to where you are now? So Soho House was always a spot that... Um, you know, some of my friends in New York would have a membership there. I was dying for a membership. I of wanted course. one so badly. Everybody does. Everybody wants, you know, what they can't have. It's the same as almost when you go to a club and they say, oh, it's so busy. And then it's not like you have those things right. in New York where they're like piling a bunch of people in. Um, so Soho House, I felt like kind of had that that mystique. I had no idea what to what it was going in. So I would say I moved here to Chicago and... I thought if I'm not going to get a membership, I'm I'm going to work there and I'm going to see what it's like on the other side. And it was really interesting, actually, because I think a lot of people talk about how the service is like very slow and, you know, it's kind of like an inside joke. But I mean, there's a lot of responsibilities that the servers have there um, that, you know, like knowing firsthand. I think it was a really great experience. It was really cool being around a lot of these high profile people. Um, which again, just like set me to another great spot for whether it's the film industry or whether it's nightlife, it's the same sort of deal, like not getting starstruck, um, which, you know, 
is it's really like a big part of the job is kind of working around that. Um, the one thing I would say, not even with Soho, but but just like in all the places that was interesting to me was that a lot of times people that are sort of these high profile people, sometimes like they won't even tip. <laughs> like you'll really? notice. Yeah, like there's like there, for example, there's one that like everybody in Chicago knows of. And he is like a known person. Like he's a musician and everybody knows. Like they'll all be like, oh yeah, him like that. And it's it's a thing. What the fuck? Like I okay, I consider myself to be very tolerant of most things. One thing that I cannot stand is people who are really wealthy not tipping. I think not tipping to begin with is just disgusting. If you are going to spend money going out to eat, going out to drink, going out to party, you're already out, you're already spending the money. Leave a fucking tip for the people who make that experience pleasant for you. But especially if you're somebody who has a lot of money, like like what is like what is a couple hundred bucks to you? Yeah. Or even less than that. It's it's nothing. That that drives me insane. My mom always used to say, she's like, if you are going out, you don't go out unless you can tip. You just you just don't go. And I always kind of thought that way for a really long time, even before serving, I had that idea in my head. I don't think everybody has that idea, um, but I, it's almost like, you know, the closer that you get to being, um, you know, like more likes, more followers and in influencing, it's almost like the more free stuff you're gonna get. I think it's the same sort of deal when it comes to these people at these, these clubs and at these places, they'll be like getting discounts off of a bottle or something because they're famous. And I'm just like, they can afford it, which is why, you know, the last people who actually need it, like give it to an art student. Exactly. Exactly. I'm like, invite an art student out and be like, we will scholarship for your bottle. (laughs) Truly. Literally. Oh, but that's why like, I mean, at underground, like we had even, you know, deals like that, that I noticed over time. I've, I've seen like, oh, this person kind of expects they're going to get special treatment because they have this restaurant or this other spot. And I'm just like sitting there, I like ask my manager, be like, is that what we're doing for them? And I remember one of my managers, he was like, showed me his bank account, was like, I spend thousands of dollars at this person's restaurant like all the time. We are not giving him a free bottle. That's oh ridiculous. And Good they just, yeah, like they just kind of will walk in and be like, yep, like, you know, I've had also... Yeah, I mean, I've had people come in and be like, hey, Ali, can you like, can you open this bag of cocaine for me? Like, I'm like too drunk. I can't open it. I'm like, no, no, I cannot open your bag of cocaine in front of everybody here. My managers, you know, side eyeing me from the side. I'm like, absolutely not. I'm like, you can like discretion, first of all, but also like, no, I'm not telling you that's okay. Okay, I'm so happy that you brought that up because I was just thinking to myself, like, we need to do some rapid fire juicy questions. The first one I'm going to ask you now is, what is the craziest thing that you've ever been asked to do? Or or what is the situation that you've been in where you've the most had this this reaction of like, holy fuck? Yeah, um, I definitely the, the drugs aspect. Yeah, the fact that people, they come in, people spend a certain amount and then be like, this is what I think the amount is to do this stuff. And even, I mean, even the guys who come in that are just like wearing their suits coming from their financing that aren't even buying a table, they'll be like, have no spatial awareness and be like, you know, just like jumping and like fist pumping Jersey Shore style. And I'm just like, they think that that's their thing. They're like, well, I paid cover to get it. And I think it's so fascinating what people think they're allowed to get away with based on how much they're spending, based on the fact that, you know, they're like, well, I'm even here. I'm like, no, just because you are here, just because you spent this amount does not mean that you are suddenly like God's gift, you know, and 
Yeah, I would never obviously like bring up anybody's actual names, you know, here because I do respect the privacy of my clientele. But I've definitely had some moments where, you know, somebody was there and I was just like, wow, you really think you can get away with that just because of either who you are or, you know, what you've done, how many times you've come here, if you're a regular or not. Mm-hmm. Um, what Some of the crazier things that I've been like asked, I would say, I have a lot of tables where people will ask you, like, go on vacation with me tomorrow. And that's like normal. Like a lot of girls will be like, oh, he always asks that to everybody. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. I'm not going to have to actually be like, yeah, sure, you know. And then like throughout the night, they'll be like, no, you seem really sweet. And it's because we've had like a genuine conversation because I try to stay by my table and like hang out with them and like make them feel like it's hospitality, you know, at the end right, of the day. Right. And a little bit of acting. <laughs> but um, But then when I'm there, like if I don't say yes, sometimes they'll be like, you're so shallow, like, oh, like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, shallow because I didn't want to go on vacation with you. They're like, Someone yeah, you like... just met? Exactly. Like, okay. Or they'll be like, oh, you should leave your job right now. Like, just leave your job right now and, like, we'll go and, you know, I'll take care of you. I'm like, I'm not going to leave my job and leave my finances up to you, my rent up to you. Like, you know, forever, other people that may do that, I'm like, I just, that makes me really nervous. I would not be comfortable allowing that much in somebody else's hands. Is that something that you see a lot with your clients having a savior complex when it comes to bottle girls or go-go dancers or, or kind of any job that women tend to have in, in nightlife and hospitality? Have you encountered a lot of men being like, I'm going to give you a quote unquote better life? Yeah, I would say a lot of them. They, you know, they think like, wow. you poor thing having to work these hours. I'm like, listen, you're the one getting fucked up until like five o'clock in the morning here with your four bottles that you're by yourself. I I had one guy who literally was like, if you can, you know, hang out with me, then like I'll get a bottle. And I was like, "Um, yeah, it was like, you have to buy a bottle or I can't sit down with you, I'm sorry. (laughs) And he did, he was by himself and like bought this. He was like, whatever you need to charge here, gave me his card. I went to my manager and I was just like, I'm gonna charge him this much because I feel like it tonight, you know? And it was like kind of funny now, but it's just like, it's crazy. Like it's these people, it's not even like I, I used to feel bad like I did I used to feel bad for I was like oh like that person's card declined and I would be like well that's so sad like you know maybe he just didn't have the money and like people will tell me around me they'll be like no Allie like first of all you know when you're walking into the club you know when you get in you know when you buy your table you know when you're we have to process this card immediately like we ask them um you know like when they come in we ask the the VIP host we'll say okay what's their minimum we find out what their minimum is once their minimum is told, I mean, they're aware of it. Everybody around knows. And then when you go and charge the card, it's like if it's declining um, right away, then you obviously we have to get another card. But like we've switched, you know, some of our policy because before we were having problems where at the end of the night, people would just like have their card decline. And like people would say to me, they'd be like, these people know all too well. They know all damn well that they can't afford it and they shouldn't be here. And I was just like, that made me feel a lot better because it made me feel like the same on a smaller scale. You don't go to the bar unless you can tip. You don't go to the restaurant if you can't afford it. You know, if you're going to have to split it all these ways, that's fine too sometimes, you know, but like you can't go places if you, if you're just trying to like quote unquote ball out and, and not, you know. Do you think that a lot of your high rolling or fake high rolling clients (sighs) are going to the club out of a sense of loneliness or desperation do you it sounds i was going to ask do you think but it, it sounds to me based on these anecdotes that you're saying that 
a lot of these guys are looking for company or are looking to feel a certain way about themselves for a certain period of time. I think, yeah, I think a lot of, I think a lot of these people that come out sort similar to actually how you and I would feel when we would go out when we were younger. It's maybe like they never grew out of it or that they worked so hard to get to where they were now that like they finally get the chance to spend that money. They finally get the chance to like live like that bachelor thing. Like lawyers, you know, it's the sort of thing where they're like studying for so long and then finally when they get that chance, it's like, now I'm going to spend all the money that I want, you know? And I, I personally, I know that I probably wouldn't spend my money like that, but I also, I don't know what it's like to have that much, you know, to have that amount. It's it's really interesting. I think it's ego. I think it's ego. I think it's also sometimes loneliness. And I think sometimes it's just a matter of having a good time because you can afford it for like right. the people that can't. The people that can't, I would say, yeah, probably stemming more from loneliness and from wanting to be accepted, which is yeah. like a little sad. Speaking of being able to afford things, I don't want to be crass. It's not polite usually to ask people about money. So you don't have to tell me exactly how much you made, but did you ever go through a period of time, whether it was in Malaysia or when you were in New York or now in Chicago, where you were just like, holy shit, like I have a lot of money and I'm going to go out of control spending it. Or did you feel as though you um maybe had like a little bit of an egotistical moment where you mismanaged your money because people think a lot about the client side of nightlife but as with strippers or escorts or successful models and actors or bottle girls everyone we've kind of discussed that fits under this umbrella mm -hmm. when you come into a lot of money very fast basically for like being charming and attractive and knowing how to have a good time it, it sometimes it can make your head explode Oh, definitely. Yeah. I I think I've had some moments for sure where I spent more more than I was supposed to and have had to like be bailed out by my parents or something. I'm like, it's the money's coming in next month, but right now I I'm really broke. And it's so funny because people will be like, But you're a bottle girl. I'm like, Yeah, but I'm really bad with my finances. Like I am just not good with that. But I'm trying to do better. And I think one of the reasons for that is is especially because I always think about the age, the age, um, the expiration date. Like, I think about how, yeah, this is all fun right now, but this is a temporary job. It's not something that I can be, like, 55. I mean, maybe there's a place where they can, but right now I don't know very many New York clubs that are doing not super well. <laughs> no, where people are, you know, like, 55 and still ball spring. So I think that's where you have to be really smart about it. You have to, you know, save the right way and, you know, and do what you can because it's, it's not going to be – same as for acting where it's not consistent. You're not going to have consistent jobs, right? Like you have to be able to do that. And I think that a lot of the girls that I know um, either are working towards something and really want to save towards that. And that's sort of why they're doing these late nights. Um, or then there's the other side, which is the, the people that kind of get swept up in it and end up spending too much of their money and can't pay their rent but have like a Prada bag or like Chanel and I just like I that was something that I noticed and that I've noticed for so long that I didn't want to be like I've been that girl that was standing at the table you know at a comp table and been like look at me with my champagne but like I had no money in my bank account and then I've also yeah. been on the side where you're serving a comp table and you're like oh we're gonna make no money because that table right there and it's yeah. just like it's just a matter of being, you know, just being careful. And as a woman, how we have to be so careful about like just taking care of our finances. Yeah. 
So who is the coolest person that you have ever been able to interact with? And did that situation live up to your expectations of how it would be meeting that person? If you don't want to name names, we can do it blind item style where you just describe what they do for a living. I had one night where I was talking to a couple of pro sports players and one of them was like really wanted to take me home. And so by the end of the night, I like he kind of waited for far more hours than I think he expected to be at the club for. And I'm pretty sure they probably had like a game the next day or like the day after or something like that. Um, And so we ended up I asked a couple of the girls to come with and then we ended up hanging out with him. And it was really fun, actually. I had a really good time with that. It was cool to kind of see a little bit about their life and then also just the way they interacted with us. But I mean, still, still same sort of deal where it was like that expectation of, well, this is who I am. So, and you know, like I definitely felt expected of some things, um, but it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't like a bad experience, but it definitely was made me realize that yet again, I was like, yeah, they're all the same. <laughs> they all think that they're like this thing. And I'm just like, no, nah, you, you still do the same thing as like your other teammates. Yeah. So there's that. Um, I remember I served at Soho House. You know, I served served quite a few people. So I remember a couple of like actors, for example. I would like ask them a little bit. Like I would try not to seem like that person that was like server slash actor because I was like I'm such a cliche. But then at the same time, I'd be like, oh, you know, how are things going with filming? You know, this show here in Chicago while you're here and like. Uh, that was just so cool getting a chance to talk to some of these people about their experience and a lot of the time hustle yet again you know it was so much of that same conversation where they're like you know you just gotta like be at the right place at the right time but also like work because if you're working and you're doing nothing can stand in your way as long as you're still doing it you know you're you're doing it you have to like actively be and I was just like, I um, mean, you know, after this like 12 hour shift, I'm gonna be pretty tired and not wanna do that monologue. <laughs> I don't but... think that. Yeah. I'll <laughs> but yeah. just squeeze it in into my dead brain. Oh my God, I've been there. Literally. It's work. It's... Working in hospitality is hard work. And as such, I think the people who participate in that culture should be treated with respect and compassion and understanding. Yeah. No, I was actually one of the questions I know that you had had asked me about was about the outside of things like the like dating and like relationships outside of work. That's a huge thing that I notice is that, you know, you may have your savior complex in the club with these guys that are around it a lot, but the guys that aren't, it's like a walking red flag. Like I'll be on my dating app. I'm like, Mm, I'm not going to share that on a bottle server until like maybe day three, you know? And then when yeah. they're like, why can't you hang out on Saturday? Like, I'm like, oh, I'm busy. They're like, so you're just dating around. I'm like, no, I'm literally so busy. Like I have so much to do. And eventually it'll come out. And like a lot of them, you know, it's that lack of respect, like definitely is, it's evident. Like I'll oh, notice So you think it. it makes them look down on you or do you think they're intimidated by the people that you're surrounded by at the club? Oh, a little bit of both. I think some of the guys that are like, a little bit insecure they either will take it out on you or they'll be like well you know you're kind of a hoe anyway i guess because you know that's just like it seems like that to them because they don't understand it and they haven't been around it like guys who like dive bars you know aren't going to really understand that and then you have other people who like if you're in a long-term relationship you know it's i'm sure it's hard for some of the girls there because i'm usually not in a long-term relationship when i'm doing these jobs um kind of maybe for one of these reasons too is some of the girls I work with I know that it's hard for them to like 
know that they don't want to go too far. They don't want to flirt with somebody and like they don't want to give out their number and they know that yeah. it may affect their tip. Like I kind of give out my number all the time because I know that like it may help for that night for the tip. I may not even talk to them again, but like I also know that like it'll help in that time. Um, so I should probably start using a burner phone for that. <laughs> definitely get a fake number get like a google voice number babe like yes. as soon as we get off the phone please get yourself a google voice number. make one that'll be, Have like it be your quote-unquote work phone but like you're also not lying because that's no. where you send the client it's my work phone but yeah that's there's that there's you know exactly the dating aspect and then just like the expectations of you know what we're supposed to seem like to people like that's why like Beauty, you know, I know when I'm working a couple nights a week and I have so much makeup on, like I take off my spiders off my eyes and all of a sudden I'm like, am I pretty like outside of this? Like you don't feel beautiful sometimes throughout the week. And like my mom, I know really wanted to talk to me about that. And so she thought that that was the thing I should share with people who are interested in going to ball service. It's just the hours are really hard if you're only working like one night a week you know your whole week is pretty much screwed if you work two days a week like you know your, your sleep schedule is really bad but you also know that you worked two nights and you're going to be making double the money that one night is kind of hard sometimes your anxiety and like depression and that like you have to keep a pretty good schedule for sleep um like napping is a big thing um but yeah there's there's a lot of that that goes into it of like just like, who who are you, you know, when you're not on, on, on? So just out of personal curiosity, do you ever grapple with feeling as though you have burnt out or expired too early? And I don't mean like physical expiration, even though I think that's a terrible concept. Obviously, it's something that we do need to think about as people who are in entertainment. Yeah. I mean, more like, do you ever regret starting your nightlife career so early because it's made you want to calm down too early. I mean, I'm 28, so you and I aren't that different in age, but mm -hmm. I've gone through these waves of sometimes feeling as though I have so much left in me and sometimes feeling as though I blew my load so early that now I kind of feel sometimes like I'm 40. Honestly, as much as I think other people, like I was, so I was writing my memoir in college for a little bit and a lot of people would be like, what would you possibly have to talk about that's that, you know, that that's, that's that impactful or anything, you know, your life's just begun. And I was always like, no, I feel like I've had a lot that I've already been through that I would like to kind of, you know, share at least and then continue my memoir later and, you know, that. So I think in moments like that where I would be like, that's it, you know, there's nothing else exciting anymore in life. Like I have my moments like that. I'll have like a day where I'm like, I, especially moving away from New York, I had moments where I had doubts about moving away. I was like, I'm going to lose all my connections. Everything's going to be changed by the time I get back. And I think you just have to kind of remember that like there are other things to enjoy in life when you have those moments. Like maybe it's not partying all the time. But I also think that it's the same way that I'm sure, you know, people talk about um, like the money in these jobs, like, um, like strippers will say like oh they go back to doing that is usually because they're like well lifestyle like I miss that you know I think it's the same sort of thing when it comes to nightlife in general like I think that you'll always kind of come back even if you think that you're bored for a little bit there's going to be something that's exciting that you'll want to be there for um, whether it's like an event or something and then you kind of like pick back up like I was reading this book about quitting alcohol like two months ago and um, I told my parents I was like yeah I'm quitting alcohol for good 
And I was just like, that's what's happening now. And yeah. as much as I, you know, really respected all the things that it had to say in there, I was like, I know that for myself, I don't have to drink. I never feel like when I'm on the job, like I'm forced to drink. Um, we do, you know, usually like take shots at our tables or like drink champagne and we just have to ask our managers, you know, before we do that, which is good because then it keeps us accountable. But I also feel like if I said I don't want to drink, my managers have never encouraged me to, you know, to do that. Like they'll even say, they'll be like, if you want to just like fake take a shot with that table so that they're not bothering anymore, just do that. Better. We have all sorts of deals like that. A lot of girls do. Um, and that's the thing. Like, I just felt like it's not that hard to just be around it and not do it or to take a break because it's still going to be exciting in some way or another. And even like distance makes a heart grow fonder in love. Well, distance makes a heart grow fonder in clubs. <laughs> you know, you spend some time away and you're like, I really miss the feeling of like champagne sprayed all over me <laughs> being sticky. <laughs> Once again, ladies and gentlemen, and those of you who identify as neither, my name is Ali Weiss, and this has been Tales of Taboo. If you enjoyed this show, but even if you didn't, please consider sharing the episode with your friends, with your colleagues, even with your grandma who does not know how to use technology. I rely so heavily on word of mouth for growing our audience. It's the best way to do it. It's the most organic and authentic way to do it. And the more people we have in the audience, the more fresh stories we have access to. So it really means the world to me when you guys take the time to spread the love. And similarly, if you find yourself with a spare 10 seconds, which is honestly less than the amount of time it takes to take a pee, please write me a rating and a review on iTunes. And now you can do it on Spotify as well. Again, easiest way to show me that you care and is really helpful when somebody stumbles on the show and is on the fence as to whether or not they want to give it an hour of their time. Let's give them a nudge and let's transfer them over to the dark side as well. Regardless, I love each and every one of you so much. I am so grateful for your time. And until next week, be good.